And welcome back to the discussion phase, a board gaming podcast where we take a break from playing the games we love to talk about the games we love. As always, I'm your host, Matthew. And I'm Brady. And this week, we're going places. That's right, whether it's by land, by air, or by sea. We're talking about our favorite board games to travel with. We're going to be reviewing some recent plays and also checking in on board game March Madness. So stick around, as always. Buckle up. Matthew, I see what you did there with the intro. That doesn't go past me because speaking of air, land, and sea, what did we just play? We played a game I was a little skeptical on. You were talking, I believe you were talking about it on uh, last week's episode. Yep. It's called Land, Air, and Sea, the original nope, nope, version, nope, nope, but nope. this is called Air, Land, and Sea. Air, land, and sea. Air, land, and sea. But this is Critters at War. Critters at War. Which is exact same thing as the base game, but this is kind of a lighter, more whimsical kind of retheming, which is interesting because um, when we looked at the recent Libertalium, um, a new edition that Stonemaier uh, Games is do- doing, they took a very gritty kind of pirate theme for Libertalia, but they put it on this anthropomorphic type animals but for whatever reason when i'm looking at that art style and kind of what that game encompasses that art just doesn't quite vibe with the game itself whereas in here air land and sea um they've got everything from rabbits to pigs to what else do they have on this cover here raccoons Raccoons, all kinds of all kind of oh yeah uh but for this it kind of fits the theming and the nature of like a quick lighter kind of game yeah um so this is a two-player game um and you know we've been on our our kick of finding exploring these two-player titles and the premise is it it actually when we got finished playing you said you you were like you know what game this kind of does a better job at and does similar things you said was hot take hot take lost Uh, cities right yeah yeah Yeah, because what you have in this game is there are 18 cards uh three suits uh land air and sea represented by Blue for the water, white for the air, and green for the land. So there's yep. blue, white, and green cards. There's six cards of each color, so a total of 18 cards, um, and they're numbered one through six. And on your, on when we you play, um, each player is given six cards, so there's six cards that you don't know that are set to the side. And in the middle between you two, you have kind of two, three larger cards. One shows land, one shows air, one shows sea. And those are the areas that you can play your cards into and what your goal is is that by the time both you and the opponent have finished playing all your cards to win the that round or that that kind of campaign for victory points is you had to win two of the three regions by having the most points so we would look at the land tile or the land card and we look at your your card values on your side brady i would look at mine whoever had the most won that theater or that kind of front and we do the same thing for air section and land, and whoever won two of the three would win the whole region. Uh, but what's really cool, it's more than just playing cards for their value, one through six, uh, because they all have a, not all of them, but most of them have, all but one of them have a very simple, very straightforward, but a unique ability yeah. on them. And what, how it usually works is the lower valued numerical card has stronger abilities on them yeah. versus every every kind of land, air, and sea suit just has a straight six. Um, so it's very, very unique that you mean, man, I have these bad cards in my hand, but actually the abilities on these cards could do a lot because what's really interesting is that normally you can only play your cards 
in their designated region. But yeah. one thing you can do instead of playing a card face up into the region is you can just flip it over, play it face down in any region just for straight two value. Yeah, and no powers. No powers, yeah. anything. But it gives you flexibility. But there's a lot of cards in the game have a mechanic that lets you flip over the topmost card in each region. And what I mean by that is whenever you play your first card into a region, it's the topmost card. But whenever you play your second card over, that card is now covered, how the game calls it. And now only your the card at the very top can be flipped. And so a lot of abilities will allow you to flip your cards or allow you to flip over your opponent's cards. So it's, it's a lot of this back and forth um, kind of abilities, but there never feels like broken or overpowered. It's just enough of flexibility to be creative without yeah, it feeling yeah. totally random. Yeah, because the unique thing in this game that I like is you know you're you're vying for um, dominance in two of the three fronts, um, and if you win two of the three fronts outright, then you get six points. But yeah, what you, you need can 12, do, 12 points to win. Yeah, twelve points to win. But what you can do if you feel like you are about to lose is you can withdraw. And then your opponent said, I think six the points. So the game calls it withdrawal, I think, but I think the easier term conceptually is resign or resign, yeah, surrender. Forgive, surrender, give up yeah. and saying, Hey, I'm I can't win. But the earlier you do that, the less points that your opponent can Wins. win. So an example yeah. is if I say, Brady, I don't think I'm going to win this. I'm going to resign and kind of retreat from this kind of round that we're in. If I still have three cards in my hand, which essentially means I've played half of my cards, you would only get two points. Yeah. If I did it with two cards left in my hand, you would get four. And then if I did it with only zero, one cards left, I think that's when you would get all six yeah. of your cards. And so uh, it gives you some flexibility. Some games you're like, man, I just drew a bad hand. I'm just going to have to suck it up and eat it. Uh, I'm just going to lose it. But this gives you flexibility. But you would think, well, if you just draw a bad hand on your very first go, you'll just, well, I'm just going to forfeit. You get two points. Let's start again. The thing is, with those lower-valued cards, the abilities are actually really good yeah, to yeah. give you a lot of options. And so with the withdrawal thing, I never felt like I never drew a hand and was like, oh, well, this is worthless. I Most of the time, we went almost to the very end because you really do feel like right up until the very end, like you have a chance at winning Because you this. don't yeah. know. You can, you can guess what your opponents may have, but you don't know 100%. Yeah. And so they just may have cards. Like there was a time where I thought I was going to lose it. And, but I was like, you know what? Let's just play it out and see. And I ended up winning just because the card you had in your hand, you couldn't play to the area you needed to. And so I think it's really, really interesting that you never, even when you feel like, man, I, I drew a lot of fives and sixes, that may not be a good thing. Yeah, like, yeah. It actually having a diversity of cards is actually helpful. It reminded me, did you, you've never played The Witcher, uh, but there was an end game um, game game um, <laughs> that they game. did and which were really capitalized on this i don't know if there was anything like it in skyrim but a lot of games uh have done something similar uh since then i know um uh assassin's creed valhalla had a dice poker kind of combat game called orlog i believe uh the ro most recent uh horizon forbidden west had an end game kind of uh, almost kind of like miniatures game called Machine Strike, where you have your actual little machine miniatures on a board, and you're like you're moving them and positioning, changing heights on, on like a board. It's like a th it's a board with different levels on, it and you would position your little machines on it to do 
do um, combat and directional attacks. And so video games have actually been incorporating a lot of these kind of board games or card games into their open worlds. Most of them are open world games. Uh, but Gwent um, was a card game in The Witcher, and I think they actually made a real-life version of it. It kind of reminds me a little bit about that, because in Gwent, um, you have a dividing area between the two players, but then there's kind of uh, there's infantry at the front row, there's kind of mid-range, and then there's kind of like long-range assault catapult-type stuff. And so when you play your cards, you play them into one of those three different fronts, but then they have abilities that can affect or remove your opponent's cards. And this was in The Witcher? In The Witcher. Oh, and it's actually people, it's, it's a fantastic game. And um, you didn't bring this up in the board game versus card game, or the board game versus video game episode, Matthew. I know, it slipped my mind. Um, but what I'm saying by that is in Gwent, in this one as well, there are times that you actually want to save your stronger cards to the very end so that your opponent doesn't have as much time to react to it. But I was, we played two complete games of Airland Sea Critters at War, and I was actually very, very impressed with it. Um, obviously, the very first time you play it, a lot of the cards are new, so you can kind of take it as a learning game just so you can get used to the cards. But after our first, like a full game, you actually may play three, four hands. Yeah. Um, so after a actual game, quote unquote, has been played and someone's the winner, you're pretty familiar with all the cards. Like I said, there's only 18, and they all have very similar adjacency to one another. And what I mean by that is uh, there, there's not a lot of mechanics in the game. There's just yeah, a yeah, couple, yeah. but the cards kind of do different like things key, to those. Keyword type of things. Yeah, like yeah. flipping, uncovered. Honestly, there's only like three, three or four keywords in the entire game that you would like know, like adjacent region or flipped card versus unflipped or yeah. a covered card versus an uncovered card. And that's about it. And the cards just modify those slightly. So... It's very clean. You, there's no references we really had to do with it. So I'm, I'm really impressed with it. Um, I'd say that's absolute keep in the collection. And um, it's probably a little more approachable uh, for even a younger crowd because of this retheming for yeah, it as yeah, well. Yeah. yeah, and I... Like even been, the weapons they have on it, they went from like a realistic kind of World War II to like like the cannons have like these big bazookas on them. and Like, like faces on them and stuff. Yeah, and so... yeah. And I have been looking for this game, and the regular, the older one that's just like World War II theme has been out for a while, but I've been looking for this one. Finally came out on Amazon, and I had to pay four extra dollars. How much, how much was it all together? I mean, because there's not a lot. There's 18 cards. There's three kind of bigger three-headed cards, a, two player aids, and a couple, like, victory point tokens. So I think it's normally like fourteen ninety-five. I ended up paying $16 for it. I think 14, 16 bucks for this game. It's well made. And uh, yeah, I'm pleasantly surprised. I always love it. And I know I talk about it a lot when I sit down to a game where I have no expectations, no knowledge of it. And it, I'm impressed with it because yeah. I always like want to have a good Those experience. Those are some with of games. the best feelings when yeah. like, I got still to this day, Rajas. I remember not really knowing anything about that game going into it. And it just blew my mind. Um, yeah. It kind of makes you feel like a kid again. Like, there's still a sense of yeah. wonder. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, there's still and, new stuff out yeah, there. Yeah, and I think it's nothing complicated. Like, none of the mechanics in this were new, really, but it's just a little different approach to it um, that that made it just really sing. And it didn't now say it's welcome at all. Uh, so that'd be a big recommend. But, Brady, you got in some fun um, outdoors adventuring um, this week, and I know we talked a little bit about my hay bear story on uh, last week's episode, and um, people love that on the uh, the Discord, sending me pictures of bears. 
Uh, but you actually went out on kind of a young adults kind of retreat. Yes, we went this to, past weekend. Yep, and Jacob and John were there, and all of our wives, and um, we went to uh, this beautiful local place that I've never been to before called Doe River Gorge. Oh, you never been there before? Never been there. Yeah, it's a great place. But it was absolutely magical out there. I mean, we at one point very quiet, very quiet. At one point, we were playing this just game of kickball that we had set up um, in sort of the field. But you, I just like took a moment and it's actually kind of funny because I, I just started like, I'm like in the outfield, like, you know, like a five-year-old and I just start like looking around at all of the mountains and we're just in this little valley surrounded by all of these huge mountains that are just like really close. You're in a gorge, surprisingly enough. Um, and I got distracted looking at all the mountains and almost, uh, almost let a, a kickball go by me, but I actually, I caught it. So there you go. Yeah, I mean, they have me. a little bit of everything there. It's kind of like that uh, that board gamers ranch, you know, we talked about before, but then they got, I think, pretty sure they have everything from disc golf to hiking to kayaking. I mean, yeah, there's water stuff, but I'll be, I mean, it was a little too cold this past weekend. Yeah, unfortunately, that. we got like kind of a cold front, so we didn't get to do um, a lot of some of the more fun stuff, but we did get in some fun games. We got in some monikers. Um, which was hilarious because it was like a like this young adults retreat. Not everyone um, knew each other super well, so monikers was like the perfect game to kind of open up everybody. And there were just some hilarious moments where people were um, doing charades for like uh, one girl just laid it all out there and did. She had to do like the hungry hungry caterpillar or something, which is like a children's book. And so she just get lays on the ground and inchworms her way across the floor. And oh my gosh, I was about to die laughing at how hard she committed to that. It was hilarious. Yeah. Where she could have just done like her little finger, you know, kind of yeah. inchworm. No, she laid all on the floor. It See, and that and that's correct me. That's the one where you increasingly it's harder and harder to convey your clues. Yes. Like you so can you say stuff, and then you can act it out, and yeah. then you can motion so it's it like, or something. Yeah, you can. You you get a. So uh, down here in the south, we've got a game that we call Fishbowl, but I think it's got a lot of names to it. It's the same concept, yeah, right? Basically, everyone, everyone creates words or yeah, phrases words. or terms. Yeah, and you so you have like three rounds usually, um, where you can you get you can draw a card or the word or whatever. You have to describe it without using it. So it's like taboo, I believe. Um, then the next time you only get one word, and then the next time you have to Act charades it, out. it. Yeah. Um, and then there's a fourth bonus round if you're feeling particularly spicy where you have to do charades completely under a sheet, which is hilarious. Yeah, it's going to be no from me, dog. <laughs> uh, that one's really funny if you add that to it. But um, so, yeah, we got everybody warmed up on the first night but, with that. Yeah, I think and that's a, it's a fantastic game. We've done it. I mean, it works great in smaller groups, larger groups. Um, see, that's a game that I'll always pick over like Telestrations. Really? Because Telestrations yeah, doesn't create memories. Like it does. I, I, you it may does. you may remember, but like I remember, like those, like I, when we went on our cabin, or like our you know friends' family cabin retreat back in October. Like I still remember moments from our game of the moniker slash yeah, baseball, whatever we did. I will say, my I used to not like monikers. Or like fishbowl. And honestly, I think monikers is helping me with it a little bit over like just regular fishbowl yeah. um, where people come up with their own stuff. I, I like it when when we, you create it, but which with p- people who like 
instead of doing random stuff, it's like inside type yes, stuff. Like that like, kills me. Where they're like Matthew's armpit or something like that. Like they're the word will be Matthew's armpit. Well, that's that's not what I'm talking about. Like, but you're putting words that like have interest or things that relate to your friends. Like one of the ones that we did was like Dogecoin was like one of the clues someone created. Cause like, that's something that I'm all, all, all over and stuff. And so like you create clues that like it's within the quote unquote meta or like inside joke type stuff amongst the group. Yeah. I don't know. I, that's, that's part of it that I enjoy. Yeah. So monikers for a while, I would just like roll my eyes every time someone suggested monikers, but it has been, it's grown on you. It's like every time I like, don't, want to play it but then every time i do play it i end up having a great time that i'm just like laughing my head off honestly um, and i love being the person who guesses more than i'm pretty bad at, at guessing at to be honest accuracy. to me it's like it's kind of a combination of like deduction knowing the person knowing how they think and then also kind of like it's it's kind of like trivia because um, I think when we last played, like John actually has a set of official monikers with the cards. And what's nice about it is because it helps define what the word is or who that person is. So it gives people context to give their clues. That is the nice thing about having the official game. Um, and I just so like people were giving phrases and it was kind of like trivia a little bit too. It was like, okay, who is the person in that show or in that movie or did that thing? Yeah. yeah so yeah. it just, it's my mind is constantly listening and engaging because even if it's words that you're not guessing for your team, you still need to pay attention to everything people are saying because on the next round, it could be something your team has. Yeah, yeah. And the group starts creating like these inside meta jokes because when you get down to one word clues or you're acting it out, like there's not a lot of description yeah, you can yeah, do. Yeah. And so your, your group is constantly building on its identity for these words. And yeah. it's just very dynamic, especially when you have a group that knows each other. I know we're going way too in Deep depth on monikers, monikers but it's yeah. great. And we had, um, we got in a game of Hadara while we were there, which I just, I love Hadara. It's I should have guessed you a, took Hadara with yeah, you. It's just such a wonderful little entry level game. I love it. Um, we also got in some code names with some peeps, Azul, and some. How big what, of a teams did you do with code names? Uh, it was like four on four, I think. It wasn't okay. too too bad. Um, that was like a late night one. A lot of the lightweights had already gone to bed, so I went up and played. Did, with some uh, of the did Jacob bring two rooms and a boom, or he did go bring, mess with Cthulhu or any of those? Yeah, we didn't end up doing two rooms and a boom because we just got kind of busy. But there was one large group that was really into Secret Hitler, and we could not pull them away from that. They were just going crazy over that game. It was it was. It was fun to watch. I'm not when you as say really big into of, it. Are you talking about like they kept playing it over and over yes, and over yes, again? Yes, yes, yes. That so, always amazes me. It's all, I always feel like I'm watching a National Geographic documentary because I don't know what it is about how we play board games, but we're always like diversity, difference, changing games yeah, yeah. versus some people. And, and there's no wrong, nothing wrong with it. Like they love what they're doing. Like, but they will find the game, but they will just play it over and over and over again. For hours and hours yeah. and hours and hours. Well, on and we've end. talked about it before, where people have played, you know, Monopoly and other pretty bad games for their entire lives. So when they come across a good game, they're, latch they're like, it. "Yeah, they're like, oh, this is this is the greatest game in the world. I don't know how I haven't played this before." And yeah. it is. Fun. I, I'm not as big of a fan of Secret Hitler. Um, never I never got to worm my way into that game because everyone was wanting to play it, but. Um, but it was fun to just sit and watch everyone get super into it and and call each other out and stuff. I I feel like I got to wa witness 
like the start of several board game journeys in that moment. And it's yeah. a beautiful thing. Yeah. Very good. <laughs> um, I didn't get in a lot. I just got in some lighter fare, played some more dice throne, uh, which enjoying dice Throne is great. I'm really pumped for the, um, uh, Marvel, uh, edition that's going to be coming out. And speaking of which we also have into the fold. Now we have the, um, the newest, un, the newest unmatched uh, group of um, characters. It's not called Murder's Row. But essentially, it has Ghost Rider. It has, I think, maybe Elektra in it. It has Moon Knight, uh, kind of Marvel, Luke Cage, I yeah. think, on it. Um, I, it's something Row, I think. Um, but I'm excited to get that in a match. You still have all my unmatched stuff here at your house. Yeah, you can take I, it. I still have not been able. I know we've done the, the uh, Where's Radlands. I still have not been able to find Radlands. <laughs> really? And I'm getting I, very nervous. I don't I'm, I'm about have to start Radlands. searching your house because I, I know you say you don't have it, but you Well, may. I just organized my board game shelf like last week, and I did not, not come across it. it so. I have to double check at some of the other guys' house because we're still on the ever-elusive Where is Radlands. Yep. You're going to have to get those Apple tags. Put all the put all the Apple tags in your games, man. Yeah. I recently made a huge order on Amazon for a lot more sleeves. Um, oh, yeah. For, for games, everything from Brass, Tark, Nova, to uh, Great Western Trail 2nd Edition, and so on and so forth. Um, just so keep those games pristine uh, condition. Because uh, I played some games with some new people um, over the weekend, and, you know, they were talking about, you know, do you sell a lot of games when you buy them just because of the costs and everything? And, you know, I was kind of talking to them about, like, costs and acquisition investment. I wasn't using those words, but... I kind of gave them the example, you know, you could take four people, go to a movie or go out to dinner and all that kind of stuff or whatever you do. And it's just kind of one night, but you could spend a lot of money, 20, 30 bucks a person easy doing something like that. Whereas you could pay $50. Like they were giving an example, like they, they saw Catan. It's like, man, that's $50 because Catan actually, I mean, they have not lowered the price of Catan any over the years. Yeah. And Catan is still 45, 50 bucks. And they were like, we just didn't know if it was worth spending that much money for a game. But I was like, well, you know, if you think about it, if you just play that game once with four people, you know, that's around $18 per person or something well known in that. Uh, It's like $14-ish or something per person, somewhere along that. $12.50. It's $12.50 per person. Do the math. Um, But I said, even if you play that game once, it still would be cheaper with that hour and a half, two hour experience and going out. But then if you take care of this, this is a game they'll have for years. So yeah. like I've had my copy of, of Catan for four or five years now. And I couldn't even count how many times I played it to where, you know, it's, it, it's well worth the value. Since told, explain kind of like, cause a lot of people look at it. I was like, man, that's, that's a board game is more than a movie. It's more than a book. It's more than just maybe one dinner for two people, maybe depending on where you're going. But when you think about it, it's like this is something we're going to have and all can have as long as we keep it. Yeah. Um, they're actually yeah, not that funny, crazy. It's funny how like how cheap people think board games are. I remember, or so just recently, my buddy Kyle from Nashville, he goes to these places where they they um, like basically dump like Amazon returns or surplus into was these it like bins. five below or something like yeah, that. Uh, it's called like, give me a five, but there's a lot of these style of businesses. Yeah. Um, but basically, yeah. So he goes in, um, and he can find a lot of great, like unopened board games for $5. But he said recently, he just picked up the second edition of dominion for $5. And at checkout, a woman was like, Oh, is that a board game? And he was like, yeah. And he, she goes, is that even worth five dollars? 
That's what she said. And he and he was like, like, yeah, it's a it's a board game. It's you know, on Amazon it'd probably be about fifty bucks or something like that. And she she said he was just or he said she was just like flabbergasted that a board game would cost fifty dollars. And he paid five dollars for it. And she was like, Is it even worth five dollars? I don't know, it's just hilarious. Yeah. Well, um, I've also gotten some Kickstarter stuff just since we last talked. Um and I haven't gotten any Kickstarter stuff. I Namiji. When was the last time you actually backed something on Kickstarter? Probably 20, 2020. It was twenty twenty. Oh, sworn. No, it was um the the Witcher. Oh, you actually did it. Yeah, yeah, I did back. Well, I have backed uh, Jurassic World: The Legacy of Isla Nublar. So recently, or you got it in? No, I just backed it. You just backed it. Yeah. Okay. Um. So this is a legacy game. So there's it's there's twelve total like scenarios, but it is a legacy uh, board game. I think I mentioned it on the last episode for like some new games coming out um, with it. But you're essentially this is like official Jurassic Park IP as well. It's not like the Dinosaur Island or Dinogenics type stuff. This is official um, Jurassic Park IP, and you're you're on the original island of Isla Nublar, and you're essentially creating the park and dealing with stuff, but it's got all the legacy trappings, the, the packages, the envelopes, the things you're permanently putting on the island, making choices on where you put things, how you create things, how you deal with things. Uh, things that happen in the one scenarios will have consequences that go into the next, and so it is a I wouldn't have gone if it was like a campaign game, but it's specifically a legacy type hmm. game. And, and it's a cooperative game. A cooperative legacy, kind of very in the style of the pandemic stuff. There's 12 games slash scenarios just in pandemic. There's 12 months or 12 games in that. Um, and it's a progressive. What you do in one will progress into the next and make choices you make all that kind of fun jazz, but it's specifically a legacy. And I know there's a lot of campaign type games we have, and I know some campaigns have some legacy influences and stuff in it, um, like Gloomhaven, but this is a specific legacy game. And I feel like we haven't really played, like, I feel like the last time we've actually sat down and played like a true legitimate quote unquote yeah. legacy. I know was, you guys are getting hungry for your, uh, for your Gloomhaven lately. Yeah. But I was saying the last time we did thing was like betrayal. Uh, legacy it was like the last true legacy type game um, that we did, and so I feel like even though I'm I played some and then I have understand how they work, I don't know that I've actually played a full legacy game all the way through. Um, and I love 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 dinosaurs. I, y'all hear me talk about it every week. <laughs> and so Jurassic Park was one of those first movies I saw as a kid that literally had me feeling like I was being transported into another reality. Yeah. Um, and so it's always left a mark, and it's always been something that I've adored. And so I just saw this and they actually were previewing it at PAX and I'd glanced at it. Yeah. Um, they got some, some like fun, interesting miniatures on here. Yeah. Like, and the advent, they're called adventure guides or stories. Um, and there's 12 of them, but they're like little like booklets. They, they look like the 10 cent comics that you would have seen back in the eighties and nineties, yeah, yeah, yeah. that style of artwork. And it's uh, like one of its, and they're called legacy adventure stories. It's kind of like these little comic book, kind of set up for each scenario. Like the first one shows come aboard Hammond's dreams. And so it's like a little story that you're going through in like this, these very nostalgic, uh, comic books. Like I remember when I would go to my grandparents' house, going through the old Marvel comics, um, and the little Archie comics when they're in the, you know, the little probably six by four, like the, they're not big full flesh comic, but like the, the reader's digest type size comic books and stuff. 
and it's that kind of art style. And so it just seems very nostalgic, but interesting. And you would get to actually play as the actual characters. They're not just like knockoffs. Like it's got all the stuff that we love about Jurassic Park. We're probably going to see pop up in this game. You get to create the attractions, the different um, dinosaurs, where you put them in the park, how you do things. They even include this big raptor claw where you see them in the movie and stuff for scratching off and stuff. That's amazing. Yeah. Um, Um, Unfortunately, if you live in Alaska, Hawaii, the shipping for this is $82. Are you serious? I didn't even look at the shipping for this. $82. But the thing uh, is, it's it's supposed to be delivered in October of 2022, which that was the thing that really um, caught my eyes. Like, yeah, how might, much into development is this game? Through, yeah, we might get through all of these, like at least board game supply chain issues here pretty soon. Yeah, but I mean, this is, I would say this is an hour to an hour and a half game, cooperative, that we can play through relatively quickly. Um, but it's got all the fun jazz in it, and so it looks like a legit Jurassic Park legacy game. So I'm stoked for it. But speaking of traveling to places unseen... Brady, um, we've been traveling. I feel like we've done a good amount of traveling here for the beginning of the year between weddings and bachelor parties and cruises. Uh, we've spent times in airports, in cars, in hotels, and tight quarters and spaces. Just globetrotters, man. Just globetrotters. Um, that we have had a lot of experiences with tight spaces and trying to figure out what board games are compatible yeah. for how, And how to optimize our board game packing. Packing as well. And so what we wanted to kind of talk about a little bit today was uh, board games that were, we feel are optimal for and conducive to traveling. Yeah. Backpackable board games. Yeah. And we're not talking about like going to an Airbnb and having a big giant space. I'm talking about like a game you could pull out where you're waiting in the airport or you're in a hotel room or you're on a boat, on a, on a boat or (laughs) uh, on a plane when you pull out those trays. Or maybe if you're in the backseat of car, I get car sick super super easy if i start trying to read things and so i know that like there's no way i'm playing any type of games in the car um but other people may and some people it doesn't affect whatsoever and so we kind of put together uh some different lists of games and uh we thought about an idea of like what if we just like took each of us took our backpacks and just see how if like that was our personal carry-on to a plane yeah. It's just a backpack. How many board games would we be able to fit or, or you get one prioritize pair, space? You get one pair of underwear, one pair of socks, and then however many board games. Yeah, toothbrush, toothpaste. And prioritize spacing. Yeah. yeah. Um, but these are games that we think would be great options to look at, um, not even just for traveling, just to have, but for, hey, we can pick these up, throw them in a bag, throw them in a purse, backpack, a little zipper, and take them with you yeah. for traveling. So, Brady, these you... games, Well, these games really have to do... Do two things. So they got to store pretty compactly. Compact, yeah. And then second is they have to set up pretty compactly because you'd be surprised how much how many small games will take up a lot of table space or something. Like I'm thinking specifically of something like a lot of the tiny epic games actually take take up a lot of space once you pull everything out of there and get the yeah. games because you can almost like build a board most of the time yeah. out of the cards. Cause there's a game called a uh, circle of wagons by button shy. And the, that's the company that does like the card games and like a little, little folded, like a little portfolio thing. And they're just cards, but those cards can like spread out and take up a lot of room. Uh, I've only played one of them circle the wagon, David and I played it 
uh, together, but it actually took up a little bit of good amount of room. So that's something that didn't quite uh, make my list because it was hilarious when we were coming back from uh, the Dice Tower cruise at the same airport that we went to to fly home. We saw an entire game of Boone Lake and Ark Nova and Ark Nova that these guys were playing at the airport. They had two or three tables all slid together. They had board game pieces in both their hands on their lap on top of their head. I mean, it it was it was maxed out to the extreme. I would not advise doing anything like that. Um, But Brady, why don't you start us off with your first uh, pick for board game to travel with? Yeah, so I'm. I'm specifically not going to choose Liar's Dice, but just know that Liar's Dice is the perfect game, and depending on what edition you get, you can kind of take those cups out of the box. They can kind of, you just throw the dice in there, stack the cups up on top of each other, and it packs down fairly tightly. But these games are really games that need to hit above their weight, like literally above their weight, um, since you're using them as a carry-on. So for the first one, um, I'm going to go with For Sale. And here's a couple couple things that I like about For Sale here. Number one is it plays up to six people, but it's not like a party game. Um, And it is really just two decks of cards and and some chips that are Mm -hmm. like coins. Um, And so really... Uh, this comes in like a a much bigger box, really, than it, it should, um, like most games do. But um, again, you could you could really pack this down into like a smaller storage container and cut off like half the box size at least um, from this. And so that's another thing. Um, and I don't know if you do this. I would love to hear from some of the listeners if you guys have like great storage options for this. Um, I know one thing that we noticed on the Dice Tower cruise was that Tom and the gang had bought these um, almost like small suitcase-looking things. They were just like clear plastic tubs. But then in those, and those were about probably maybe the size of like a a small backpack or something, Um, but then in those were these um, probably like 12 or 16 maybe um smaller containers that looked like they weren't they weren't as as small as a cassette tape container but they weren't as big as like a vhs yeah kind of somewhere in between that. so you would have this um like maybe small backpack size thing that could carry like probably up to 16 games that are maybe somewhat in the yeah. realm of so what, and what they did today. they just they can put all the cards all the small little chits and tokens in the little it almost kind of looks like a little arts and craft little plastic container, and they yeah. did a printout off of probably Board Game Geek or something on just a piece of paper of like the cover of the game, mm-hmm. and then taped it to the inside of the lid underneath, so that you could just get a very quick yeah idea of the game. And that was great. He had a lot of those, like probably six or seven. Yeah, of them. the type of stuff you'd put the mind and the crew and all that type of stuff into those. Wow, spoilers, Matthew. Spoilers. Spoilers. I don't. I don't know what's on your list. Um. Yeah. And so that was great. Um. I. If. But if you guys, if the listeners are out there and they have like some ingenious storage solution for some of these games that you can just like throw in your backpack, I would love to hear about them because I I mean even this game we've got it right here this is Critters of Airland and Sea it's still pretty small compact it is pretty Rocks. small but like it could easily be 
like half the size uh, of this box. Um, if you're talking, if we're talking cubic yeah. inches. And see, I'm the type of person that I like following people on. There's people on Instagram who specifically make big box, custom big boxes for all the expansions for their games. Like they make all these custom printout with cardboards and yeah, designs yeah. and art files and stuff and make custom big boxes. That's that's where I look towards. You can hold on to these custom small boxes. Small boxes, yeah. So, yeah. Um, But so if anyways, you're traveling, because yeah. I know you've talked about when you and your wife are overseas and stuff like that, condensing yeah. games and space is a, is a luxury. Yeah, when Tara and I were overseas and we lived over there for a long time, so I had to, like... That was one of the hardest decisions of my life is looking at my library. I like Tara more or less gave me um, X amount of room that you could bring stuff. Yeah. So I had one carry on size of luggage that I could bring any amount of games that I want. And so yeah. what I did. Rule books are got to go. Save the PDFs on your phone. Yeah. Rule books are gone. So what I did was I got like these smaller storage containers that I could fit like three or four games into. And so like I had all of the all of the boards like kind of in the bottom. And then I had all of the pieces kind of and so I was able to bring like a good amount of like solid games in, you know, probably 15, 20 games in a Yeah. Or if you were able to find games that used the same type of pieces too. And so like you just yeah, brought yeah. one set of pieces, but then you could use them in multiple games. That's where you get Steven's idea of like bringing one set of coins, one set of coins, all the games, yeah. all the games. This is true. <laughs> good. That's a good pick. So my first one is my first pick for travel is going to be in the category of the roll and write, flip and write type games. Uh, my first thought was to do fleet, uh, the dice game. Um, the only thing with that, though, is that there's like a bunch of cards. That, well, I say a bunch, but there's a several cards you have to put out in the middle of the table for people to draft and pull from. Takes up a little extra room. So my pick is going to be with Gonshong Clever or That's So Clever. I love uh, this game, Wolfgang Warsh. It is is Combo City. Um, essentially, the only thing space you need other than uh, pencil and then your just pad for the writing part is you just roll a couple dice. Um and you don't need very much space at all for that. You could technically just have something in your lap to roll them on, or you can even be on a plane, pull out the little tray and roll it on there. Um, but then you get to play as much as you want just from these couple dice that you roll. It's a fantastic game of um, linking up combos. And what I mean by that is, you know, there's different sections on your boards that are associated different colors. And you're trying to fill in spots. And if you fill in certain spots, it allows you to fill in an extra spot in a different area. And it's just kind of one of those things where you could do five different actions on one turn. And so it's great if you like planning forward and thinking of those combos. Um, and there's a, there's a digital uh, app for it that you can get on your phone, but it's not quite the same if you're playing it with one other person um, and, and kind of looking at what each other were doing. And so it's a game I loved. Uh, it's a small package form and you could really play it anywhere, anywhere that has a semi solid surface that you could roll a couple dice on. So yeah. that's my first pick. Gonshawn clever. Gonshawn clever. That one, I just haven't been enamored with any of like the rolling rights really. Um, same Did you way, like fleet the dice game? It was just okay. I, like I said, the, the rolling right, like there was like the rolling right phase for like the, a year or so, maybe 2019, 2020, something like that. Yeah. You never did play Hadrian's Wall, did you? Nope. That um, is, that is 
it's almost to a point of why are we playing a roll and write game or flip and write game? Why don't we just play a board game? I mean, that's yeah, yeah. the the teach could easily be thirty minutes on a on on a game like that, which is insane. Honestly, I it's it's the you know you see videos people do games that are worth the effort. It's a good game, but honestly, that the teach is insane for for what it is because it's not like you can just explain a couple concepts. You have to explain every single region on that player mat and the things you have two of them yeah and yeah, it's yeah. just so many things going on if you don't teach a small region like someone can be completely lost but there's one a new game on kickstarter there's three days left i'm going to be backing it it's like only 29 bucks but it's from the same designers as fleet the dice game and three sisters um which is a game i think david's played recently but it is a roll and write that is all about like motocross racing it may not be motocross but like racing back in the 60s if you 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 watch ford v ferrari right mm-hmm. the movie is that kind of setting where you're racing and it's this from the same designers um and i love racing and cars and things like that so that's going to be a roll and write that i'm going to be getting um and trying out and so i think any kind of roll and write you could obviously um fill in for like the the railroad roll and write games the welcome to all of those um but i think with gonchon clever just having a couple dice as the only extra bits other than your pad and pencil is a great option. Okay. So before I go into my next one, I'll just go over the reasons why I love for sale because I got really excited about the storage solutions and didn't talk, didn't about, talk about the it. game. Um, but you've played for sale for sale is yeah. a pretty simple auction game, but it is just very deep. Um, there's um, two very simple phases to the game. One is you are so there's two decks one of them are the properties that range in value from one to 30. Um, they do have fun art where 30 is like a space station and one is like i think the sewer or something like that and then three i think is a dog house um like something around 15 would be like maybe your average american home or something like that and then it goes like way up um, so it's got some fun art. Also, every every art has like a little animal in it. So it's like a dog or like a little lizard or something. That's always fun to look for. Um, but so in the first um, round, you are, everybody's given about like $14,000 or something like that. So you use that to bid on the properties. And then after that, you use your, at once everybody has a hand of like five or six properties, then you use those to kind of flip the properties and sell them for um, money. And then whoever has the most money at the end of the game wins. And so, um, so it is, it is surprisingly deep for what it is with the auction system and then trying to, trying to like game, when to play your cards because like even if somebody has gotten like the 30 you would think like okay that person has like a significant advantage over everybody else and they kind of do but if they don't play it right then it's worthless like that 30 needs to claim other Mm -hmm. high cards like if you end up playing your 30 and everyone else plays their really low cards you kind of just wasted your you know your 30 yeah um so i love that all right yeah your number two Number two, I really wanted a game that had a little bit more meat to it, but with the travel stuff, it's it's really hard to do boards, and I you know I always I always worry about like taking a board out of the box and like just kind of putting it in my suitcase about it like getting bent or warped. 
Um, so I wanted a little bit more of a meaty game without a board. And so I'm going to go with Century Golem Edition. Mm-hmm. Um, so this is one you could pretty easily set up. It doesn't take up a whole lot of um, real estate on the table. doesn't really require a board, even though I would love to have the playmat that comes with this game. Um, but this is another great game. This is probably like my go-to, one of my go-to like entry gateway games, whatever you want to call that now. Um, and I think it is one of the many Splendor killers out there. Um, I don't think there's any reason to play Splendor over a century. Um, but this one, again, is just, there's there are some resources, but most of this game is just a deck of cool terror-sized cards. Um, and I think this one... Just solid engine building. Yeah, solid engine building. It... I, I'm not like a huge fan of like just um like just engine building games, but this one does give like give me very satisfying feels and um like knowing how much to push for buying like really good cards or whether to just like keep the engine rolling is just uh it's good. Good. All right. Well my number two, um, and you're gonna love this one, Brady, is gonna be race for the galaxy. Now, you may be thinking, Race for the Galaxy, how on earth is that going to be considered a condensed game? Well, one, you could, you just need the deck of cards. Like, if you needed to, you could take it out of the box, put it in a smaller container. Um, but really, the only space that you need in front of you is room for two rows of six cards, just 12 cards. I mean, if you, that doesn't take up very much. I mean, you could theoretically put those cards on one of those trays you flip down on uh, an airplane. You just need room for 12 cards because that triggers the end of the game. Um, but you just need one deck. You just you can keep all the cards that you are actually working with and choosing from, or even your action cards to select. You know, exploring or settling or developing, or to produce or any of those things can all just be held in your hand. And so it's a game to where you a lot of what you're looking at and evaluating is not on a table, but just held in your hand. And you just need room for twelve cards. Um, but it plays so quick and snappy. Two uh, players can knock it out and. 15, 20 minutes if they know how to play the game. Um, and it's a game that you can just play over and over and over again. Um, and it just that one game itself, and then if you wanted to, depending on some of the expansions, you can bring some more stuff with it. Obviously, some of the expansions add like gold, tie, gold tiles to it. Uh, that would take up more space, and so maybe just add different cards. Um, but it's a, it's a game that doesn't take up very much real estate. Uh, if you're playing it condensed, which you can, um, and it plays a lot of replayability with it, and you can play it just about anywhere um and for me i know you're not a huge fan of the role the race and new frontiers and all that stuff but i really enjoy it and i think it'd be a great option if you can kind of condense it and just put the cards in something smaller uh, as a travel option game yeah my number two yeah definitely uh, i'd be passing on that one i'd be going going to the concessions or whatever i think you're gonna like some of my other picks but You may not be the only person I'm traveling with, Brady. All right, Maybe so I've got two it. newer games um, to to throw in here. Um, the first one is going to be you need every you know if we're talking travel, every, you need a card game like solid, more traditional card game. I'm going to go with Nyet, and this is something we played on the Dice Tower cruise. Yep. Um, this is well. I was. I'll pair this up with you because my number three was going to be Rook, and Rook, so these okay. are both trick-taking games. Yeah. So you need yeah. a good trick-taking game, 
And it's kind of funny. We were, I was talking with Jacob and Sage about this. Like if you have people that if, if people know what trick taking is, it is so easy to teach another trick taking game. Yeah. Um, but it, if people don't know trick taking, you would not want to start teaching them yet. Cause it's trick taking, yeah. but what if we change the rules each single time we played? Yeah. Well, and trick taking in itself is really hard to like teach people. There's a lot of nuance in trick taking. Um, even playing something like the crew, um, you know, there's a lot of situations where somebody very new to trick taking or just learning would go, Oh, there's no way to do this where mm-hmm. an experienced person would go. You got a lot of options. Yeah. You got a lot of, you, you know, there, th- this is possible. Um, just, just hold tight. Um, but yet is a cool trick taking with the spin that at, before each round of trick taking, everyone basically, uh, sort of like anti auctions off or like anti drafts. Um, you take your token rules, and cover up options. The yeah. rules for the, the the round, and so um, there's this little board um, that has the rules like um, who's going to start the round, what is going to be the trump suit, um, how much is each trick going to be worth yeah. um, at the end of the game, and so you know starting with whoever's first, you can put your token on what you don't want it to be. So let's say for example the options for what the suits are going to be worth is two, three, four. And negative two. So let's just say you look, see that you have a pretty bad hand that's not going to win a lot of tricks. You can, for your first move, put your token on the, you know, the suits are going to be worth four because you don't want them to be worth four. You want them to be worth as least as possible. Um, Or maybe you don't want someone to start first. So you can put um, your token on that. Or you don't, like, you don't have any blues uh, any blue suits, so you don't want that to be the trump. Yeah. And so you'll put blue as, you know, you'll put your token on blue as the trump. The only thing I'll say I, I I maybe don't like about that is when you and your partner can end up going side by side, I think they kind of break some of the foundational structures of trick-taking games. Of course, yeah, we haven't, and we I haven't don't, played it a ton, but I noticed those couple times where you and your partner ended up sitting beside each other, it just made it a little wonky. It was a little weird. Um, I will say, I think that could be easily fixed with just, you know, you pick your partner and then you change the seating order. Um, Is that in the rules? We just overlooked it? We did not look at that. So it could could have been in the rules, actually, um, that you do change seating order. We just played where you didn't. I don't think it was too disruptive or anything. Um, but yeah, you could easily yep. fix that. And so that was like, it was a pretty cool twist. Yeah. On trick taking. Yeah, and that's why for my number three, I was going to go with Rook. Um, just for it's, it's the OG trick taking game. I've loved it for years. Um, if you're going to teach someone a trick taking game, you can just start there. Um, it's got all the foundational pieces and then you can move on to all those kind of other games as well. Like Nied or the crew or anything in that um, area. But I think it's clean. It's simple. Obviously, it's going to require four players, right? And so this isn't something you're going to be doing maybe on an airplane or in a car or even in a hotel room. But if you're sitting at an airport or you're sitting down at a cafe, anything like that when you're traveling, right? You're stopping for food, whatever it may be. Um, I think it's a great option option for you. And there's a lot of fun, and you can literally play it for hours. 
Uh, I've you know I've literally sat down and played four or five hours worth of Rook in a single sitting before, and so I think either one of those, depending on your experience level or just what your group is into, I think any variation of a trick taking game yeah. is a solid go. Crew is also a solid choice for if you want like a a trick taking game that's cooperative and has like a, or a game that has a little bit of a legacy element to it. I I yeah. do like is silly as it is that um and as thin as it is that the crew has like this element of like narrative and story to it um because tara jacob and sage and i we play it and we it's just kind of fun to feel accomplished after you know you didn't just win the game you you know helped to save this astronaut that was like you know about to drift off into with your number 13 blue card yeah exactly exactly um (laughs) what's your number four Okay, so my number four, I'm going to go with a little bit of a party-esque game, but a little bit of thinking, and that is So Clover. So oh, I, I didn't even think about this one. Yeah. When we, we played it, I mean, we turned it into a bigger group game. Does it play smaller, like two or three players? I mean, I, I'm not sure how the player count adjusts. Yeah, I mean, you can play with kind of whatever. I think it's... An, I th- I think it's initially a cooperative game. Like it's supposed to be a cooperative, cooperative. game. Um, but you could really do whatever with this. Like you could even buy two copies of it and play with up to however many people you really want to. It's infinitely expandable. Um, but all you really need is, you know, that little deck of cards and the clovers and, you know, a marker. Yeah. And you're holding the clovers in your hand. Yeah. Or so you can you, set the cards to the side when you're not using it. Yeah. Yeah. So this one would be super easy to play like in an airport or something while everybody's waiting and you can just kind of pass the clovers around. Yeah. Even if you're literally sitting on an airplane and you just like say it's you and I, you know, we can modify. I love how often like cl- so clover is the most like house rolled game that we've ever played. Yeah. yeah. Um, but you could literally I, take we, it. We literally have, don't know the rules to the game. I Honestly, I couldn't teach. I, I mean, I could teach you how we play it, but you could, if you're on an airplane, <laughs> you could have one clover. I could have the other. We create the orientations and the words and we hand it to each other. And then it's, it's a kind of a competition of who can get it in the fewest guesses of each yeah. other's. It's not a thing. game. It's, it's a framework. It's a framework for, I mean, <laughs> for honestly, you know, that, that game like 508 or something like that, 504, yeah, yeah, like yeah. 508 or four combinations of games. I mean, so Clover is a really it, good foundation for yeah. like a lot of different variations. We can call it Clover 508 instead of so Clover. Exactly. That's a great pick. <laughs> That's a great pick because really you just games that you hold in your hand and you're doing things with and this are is great one options. That, honestly, both of my like Nia and so Clover, nobody has them in our collection right now, which we will probably change honestly, I'm as surprised soon you haven't gotten it. Can get a hold of a copy. I just haven't been able to find a copy of Net. I have so. been putting all of my focus into a copy of Blitzkrieg. <laughs> <laughs> I cannot find it anywhere, and it's driving me crazy. It's like, this game's been out for a while, so I don't know if it's just a print run. It just hasn't been recent or what's with it. Um, but I'm scouring on, on Facebook Marketplace for the board game trading market and, and eBay and Board Game Atlas. Can't find it anywhere. All right, so my number four is going to be Coup. I okay. I'm glad I'm glad you put this one because I was really debating on putting this one. On I this. think who is fantastic and it is such a, you can take it out of the box and you can put it. I mean, you just got you don't even need to use if you're just playing it with three or four people as many of those kind of uh, money tokens. Yeah. yeah so you it's can, funny how many of these games are 
deck of cards with chips. Yeah. You know? yeah. And so you just got your deck of cards. And the thing is, once you look at your identity, uh, you can kind of set it down and hold it in your hand. And so really, you just have uh, a deck of a couple extra cards and a little of those point tokens. And you can play this just about anywhere. Like, you don't need a solid... Like, even if you were sitting in a hotel room on a bed... And you all around a bed or a small, you like you don't need a solid surface to play this on. So that's one thing I think about. Like some games, you need a solid surface to play things on. Um, this you don't. So if he was just sitting on a bed or on a couch or on a chair or something, you could play this. Um, and I think it's great. The amount of replayability and the options that this game plays at, at multiple player counts is fantastic. And it's a uh, it's a, it's a hidden deduction game that has bluffing and. A little bit of push your luck in it. It's like it is a jack of all trades. Whereas if you were just playing um resistance, you know, you got your board and you got your tokens that you're moving around. There's a lot of moving parts. Yeah. Whereas coup, it's you are the game, really. Mm-hmm. And so I think for a social deduction, kind of bluffing, push your luck type game, coup is a fantastic option for a small form factor and take it wherever you want. Yeah, so I'm debating at this point. I need so I've got up to um I've got up to 6 here in both for sale and so clover. Um I think I'm going to What's going to be your number 5? This is the last one? Mhm. What? Yep. I've got Century for sale, Nyet and so clover. Yeah, that's four. Um this is hard. man, do I want a two player game or do I want like a party game? What do you think? I don't know, Brady. I'm going to go with... I mean, how many times are you traveling? When you're... We're talking about traveling. Yeah. How many times are you traveling with a large group versus maybe you and another person? I'm about to be traveling with a large... Like the, you know, the family vacation that's happening this summer, I'm going to travel with a a large group. Yeah. So I think for now, I'm going to go with... um, Go with a party game. two-player... No, I'm going to go with a two-player game. Okay. I want something a little smaller. Just like... I'm, I'm thinking like sitting next to an airplane with somebody for a long time. I need something to just go over and over again with. And I'm going to go with, for thematic purposes, Fugitive. Um, you took mine. That's, oh. That's my number five. I'm going to have to pick something else. Okay, wow. Maybe you can pick a party game. No um, chance. <laughs> so Fugitive, we can talk about it together, though. Fugitive is a great, this is a two-player hidden movement game. It's fantastic. And, buddy, it is intense tight you if you are playing as the fugitive you feel like that marshal is just nipping at your heels the whole you can't make a single mistake yeah exactly um this was one that i busted out to the guys in knoxville and it was like an instant hit you kind of it's super easy to teach the game um you they get it immediately and then you just feel it right after that of like oh my gosh he is like one guess away from just taking my lunch right now. Um, so this one again, deck of cards and a marker. The you know the only thing about these is those markers are the worst. They are so I'll put finicky. a better marker in there. Yeah, but like you almost have. I almost need to like bring a rubber band. Have you ever done the marker rubber band trick where you like you like sling it? To get all the ink on the other end or whatever. I have not. I have well, not. I haven't. I don't usually sling. Sling markers. Yeah. Well, if your marker isn't writing, it usually means you know the ink isn't isn't where it needs to be. So you can like sling it and and get it to. Yeah. But anyways. Very good. Yeah, that's a great pick. It was going to be on mine. Um. So I think, 
Are you going to choose another two-player game? No, I am going to choose an outside-the-box game, and I'm going to go with... Telestrations. No, Suro, Way of the Path. Have you, You've played this one, right? Have, really? This is... This one requires a board and like pieces to be in very specific place. Wait, no, it doesn't require a board, does it? So it does require a board. Oh, it does. Uh, but the board is, I mean, that's the board, right? I mean, you obviously. I, <laughs> I'm making Matthew's the, doing hand motions over here for, how the board for, for the listeners. But um, <laughs> I don't know, maybe twelve by twelve or something. Not even that. Maybe a little bit less. But it's it's not a large board. But the thing is, it's it's small enough in structures. Like it doesn't have to be on the most solid of surfaces. Um, but the great thing is it plays up to eight. Uh, oh, that's true. For that's it. true. And so, and it, it, people, if they're just around a small space, because they're outside of just the board and your pieces on the board, there's nothing else that really needs to be taking up spaces, spacing where you have a couple tiles in your hand, you play it on the board. So essentially the premise is everyone starts with a token on the edge of the board. And then what you do is on your turn, you play a tile in front of your piece. And these tiles have, can, all these different lines and paths and based yep. on the orientation of like your tiles routes, routes, routes. and so your your stone must follow the path you create and so you're constantly creating routes and your goal is to be the last one standing because yep. if you ever run into someone else because your paths join or your path leads you off the edge of the board you lose and so it plays quick it plays up to eight but it's a great yep. little puzzle and sometimes it's just hilarious to when you watch people just create this path and they don't realize it takes them all the way around the board and finally bumps into yeah, someone else. Cause you, as, so as the board's filling up, it gets a little more tricky to lay your tile down in a way that doesn't, you know, lead you off the board and you can do things where, you know, you're about to intersect with another player. So you can do things where it takes you to a safe place, but leads them off the board. And exactly. Stuff. So, gets- so there's a lot of great tension it, and it's a pretty slim factor box plays can play up to eight, but you can just play a two player game and be a great kind of a little, little more thing, yeah. thankier kind of two player game. And so we can fit a lot of different situations in a lot of different settings. Yeah. This is an oldie, but a goodie. Yeah, 2005. You play, did you ever play the Sir of the Seas? No, I never played the expansion. I think for it had it. like, no, it wasn't. A, I think it was a standalone game. Well, yeah, I mean, I think it was. Um, yeah, they have Sur of the Season. I think they had Suro Phoenix Rising, um, which I think is kind of a re, kind of a new edition of the game. Um, yeah, so we have Sur of the Sea and then Suro Phoenix Rising. Um, I haven't looked into the new Phoenix Rising game. It came out in um, 2019, but it looks like it has little. I mean, it still looks very similar. You're creating routes and pieces, um, but it looks like it has some extra tokens and some stuff going on. Um, but honestly, just the base zero is just clean and simple. That's what I like about it. Like, all you explain to people is like, hey, you put the tile in front of your piece and you follow the path. If you go off the board or you run to someone else, you lose. That's it. Yeah. I mean, it does have a little bit of player elimination, right? Um, but it shouldn't be very long between when you went out and the game is over because usually people start dropping like flies yeah. around them. So I th- that's my pick for a game that can fit a lot of different player counts. It's not a full-on party game, but... Yeah, and um, I don't know about you, but I could easily fit these games into a backpack, even even with... Yeah, um, honestly, and if you were even trying to do more, just put each game in a Ziploc bag yeah. and take with you. Yeah, these you are... Know. These are pretty. So these are all great options for travel of any kind, um, and they're always options that we're looking at whenever we're on the road. Obviously, if you want to be crazy and you want to pull out Ark Nova or whatever, <laughs> Boone Lake at the airport, at the airport go that, right ahead. That was hilarious. Um, yeah. All right, so Matthew, 
you're a sports baller, right? I am into the sports of the ball. The sports balls. Yes. All right. Last so, year we did we did the March Madness prediction stuff. We didn't do it again this year, but we wanted to kind of react and kind it, of look at some of the results because there's been some spicy, yeah, uh, some spicy results. And it, you know this really slipped by me this year. I feel like I don't know what it is, but. You know, usually I get, usually I get like, or I hear talk or, you know, somebody's like, oh, are you doing a bracket this year or something? I really didn't hear about that until like halfway through March. And then I was like, oh, oh, it's March Madness. There's been a lot of other big things going on in in the world. In the world, yeah, yeah. Other than March Madness. But, you know, it's kind of funny because my, um, this year, my school, UT Chattanooga, ended up beating... Um, out the the higher seed and whatever um, bracket they were in. So, and, I, they, and ladies and gentlemen, what you heard Brady just say is the most detailed statement about sports I've heard him say in years. I, uh, use the word bracket, bracket, seed, and you actually actually said the correct name of a sports team. Yeah, which is my alma mater, UT yeah, Chattanooga. That is about as detailed and specific we're going to get Brady to say anything about sports. Yeah, and the the um, quarterback is amazing. Yeah, he, uh, he got a lot of four pointers that game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So what I want, so what we're gonna do is I want Brady to um, <laughs> Brady's had looking at the bracket. He knows the outcome, and so what I haven't looked at any of it. I don't know any of the results from it. So what I want him to do is kind of give me a couple Let's just of the go head, through a couple. Of give these. me a couple of the head head to heads, and I want to give a kind of a prediction of what I think the outcome would be, and then see and what it actually you. is. Yeah. So yeah, we had just finished round one. We're in round. Two now, and if you don't know what this is, this is really just a March Madness bracket um, where popularity contest. Yeah, popularity contest between board games, and so they basically, I think, rank more or less the top, the BGG top 100, and then kind of seed them. So number one would go with what 64 or or somewhere in there. I think they don't necessarily do direct top 100, but yeah. Um. Then they and then everybody just votes on them. I believe and see who the terraforming is. Mars won last year. I believe so. I can't exactly remember, but yep. um. Yeah. So we're in round two. You can go and vote for round three right now. Um. But yeah, let's just go over some of these. So I'm gonna give you, um, Power Grid versus Code Names. <laughs> that was a. Juicy. Wow. You couldn't like really get more opposite I, than that. Power names is great. It's one of those surprise hitters at higher player accounts. But you just I just said, wait, 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 you just said power names. Code, <laughs> you mean code names or power grid? Power grid. Power grid. Power okay. grid, I think, is great. It'd be but I think the popularity of code names and all its expansions and variations, uh, code names had to have won. And it was power grid. Whoa. Yep. I that just restored my my faith in humanity. Yep. Wow. All right, so we've got... Yeah, it's a good thing we're not putting money on this. Uh, yeah, we've got Twilight Imperium versus Architects of the West Kingdom. Architects, hands down. Really? People, okay. people are are those Garfield games, people get crazy about them. People who own one, they own the entire collection. All right, so we're going to do... Was just, it Architects? It was Architects, okay. yes. Um, we're going to do just one versus Twilight Struggle. <laughs> I... I I couldn't in a million years imagine Twilight Struggle beating out just one. Spilled, it's Twilight just one won the spiel. Jaris. So I'm going to go with just one. Just one? Yeah. Nope. Twilight Struggle. What? Yeah. Brady, I, I'd be so broke right now we are putting money on this. Yeah. I, wow. Yeah. That's, that is, that's crazy. Because like, how long has it been since 
I mean, Twilight Struggle at one point was the number one game of all time, but that's, I mean, that's been eight plus years ago, probably at least. Wow, that's crazy. Wow. Yep. All right. So let's see. We're going to go. All right. This is a big one Gloomhaven versus Patchwork. <laughs> There's no way, right? There's no way the number one rated board game of all time gets beaten by Patchwork, right? Have you ever played Patchwork? No. They're, it's actually very similar to Gloomhaven. Oh, okay. Okay. Yeah. yeah the <laughs> the Quartals and the Scoundrels get together and they, yeah, they fight yeah, the yeah. dragons on Patchwork. Different theme, but very similar game. So, I, I mean, I I can't not say Gloomhaven. Yeah. Did, was it Gloomhaven? I'm dead serious. It was Patchwork. Like What? Right? Yeah. You're, I you honestly to show can't me this. believe this. How many, right can you see how many people voted for this? Um, they didn't get my yeah, vote. I, I might be able to. Uh, I just don't understand. Because that, it's, yeah, not it's, just, crazy. Cause it's not just like Gloomhaven is a niche game where... It doesn't have a lot of people playing it, but the people who do just... Because there's some games where they don't have a lot of people playing them, but they just... Everyone just rates it a 10 versus of popular. But, like, Gloomhaven is highly rated and super popular. Yeah, yeah. I just... Listen, this is just throwing into question the validity of a lot of things on this bracket. Like, who is in charge of submitting and putting the votes and all this stuff together? I think we need a recount of the election here. Wow. Okay, so it was... So between those two, it was it was fifty point five percent to forty nine point five percent. So For the total, yeah, the total votes was um, fourteen hundred and twenty three versus fourteen hundred and fifty two. So like That's what around twenty six, twenty seven votes. I should have right just there? made a ton of board game geek accounts <laughs> and just started spamming the votes, shouldn't I? That is that is like. The David versus Goliath right there. No, it's not. It's like David's weird cousin Lenny versus Goliath. <laughs> like, no. Um, <laughs> like, Patchwork is not the people's champion. All right, It's like Azul here's, versus... Here's one for you. We got Terraforming Mars, the current reigning champ, versus Crokinole, which listen, is... Listen, listen, Brady. People ancient. get people get crazy for their Crokinole. Listen, it's addictive. When I sat down to play Crokinole for the first time, I didn't yeah. want to get up and leave. But... There, <laughs> My, the reality I live in is slowly shattering around me. I'm going to have to go with Terraforming Mars. Yeah, it was Terraforming Mars. <sighs> All right, we'll do a couple more here. So we have Great Western Trail. First or second edition? Or just combined, uh, doesn't probably. Say. Yeah, probably combined. Um, versus Catan. I mean, the board game of all board games. So what do you got? Brady, I feel like you, you purposely put you this... You can't handle the truth. Bro. No, I cannot. I feel like you purposely gave me this just so <laughs> I'd have to face face an inconvenient truth here. Is it Catan? Nope. Great Western oh, Trail. Okay, good. I thought you were trying to trick me. Catan, yep. Um, so we got... This is... We were just talking about kind of both of these games recently. We got Nemesis versus Lost Cities. Oh, with a Kickstarter coming in, hands down, Nemesis. Lost Cities. Yeah. <laughs> Who's voting on this? Can you believe this? that? Who's voting on this? <laughs> Lost Cities is a try-ish. I mean, we just played it's Airland a, and Sea, and we're 46. like... We just played Airland and Sea, and I think that is a far superior game to Lost Cities. Yeah. Oh. All right. So two other big boys. We got Brass versus La Havre. The Harbor. Oh, listen, Brass is a hitter, whichever version you're playing. Um, I'm going to... People are not sitting down and playing La Havre like like people want to believe. No one's playing La Havre. Um, so I'm going to go with Brass. 
There was brass. Yep. Okay. Um, we have. We'll do last one here is obsession versus seven wonders. Well, obsession has I. Well, first off, how did obsession make this list? People, not enough people even own the game. It's it it's had insane kind of like rise on the hotness um, because people have been reviewing it and putting stuff out, but like there are no copies of this hardly anywhere to get a hold of. Um, so if people are voting this, they're voting on hype, not because of people. There's no way enough people have actually played Obsession compared to Seven Wonders to vote. Um, so if people are voting, they're voting on hype and not have played it. That is what I'm calling if Obsessions win. So I'm going to go with Seven Wonders. And if Seven Wonders did not win, I'm calling foul. <laughs> it was Seven Wonders. Okay. So, yeah, that was it. I'll was go it, over some juicy. Very like, strange. Well, I don't understand why Obsession is on this. Like, there's just not like the people have not I, yeah, played Obsession. There, so enough. I think there's like a nomination round before. Oh, okay. This. Um, and, so I may, I think there might be like a set of number of ones from the BG top, top 100 that like are automatically in, and then I think there's like a nomination round. Gotcha. Um. Okay. So some juicy. Some juicy uh, matchups from here in round two. We've got Pandemic the series in um, quotation. So it's just wasn't last year like pandemic. pandemic had multiple games on there or something. Uh, I can't quite remember. So this is I, I guess it would include legacy versions. Include everything with yeah. the word pandemic. Yeah. Yeah. So versus root. root. So that's gonna be that's gonna be a big one. Um, we well, have Star Wars Rebellion. Star Wars Rebellion versus Azul. Not a chance. Brass versus Viticulture. Uh, there's people who people who know the truth will vote brass. Yep. We have Terra Mystica slash Guy Project versus Agricola. Oh, you know Agricola. We've never really we never talked into. Yeah. I still have Caverna. It's a game. I think we've talked about games we need to revisit. Yeah. Um. I think Caverna has a very interesting design and engine building framework. Um. It's just when we played it, we it just was not a, a time in our board gaming journey to where it was really hitting. Yep. Um, we need to revisit, but there's no way. No, I, I can't even tell you the last time I've heard anyone mention actually playing a recent game of Agricola. Um, there were no one playing was was playing Agricola there at the Dice Tower, but yeah, people were playing no. Gaia Project. I think it's Gaia think Project it's combined with Gaia because there are people who love Gaia Project that could care less about Terra Mystica and vice versa. Like there are, I mean, it's a very similar system, but because of the theming and setting, yeah, like. There is almost a separate, at least from my perception, a separate fan community for those two I games. Know. It's almost like Gloomhaven and Patchwork, like that type of <laughs> no, separation. No, Brady, I'm giving. A, I'm trying to give real honest insight here. <laughs> All right, but I think combining those two actually does more for it than just saying like Pandemic the series. Because if you love Pandemic, you're gonna love the Legacies. But these are like two different kind of families that are coming together. So mm-hmm. my money is on Gaia slash. Yeah. Next one that's going to break my heart is Castles of Burgundy versus Concordia. Listen, Castles of Burgundy has been a heavy hitter for a uh, long time. A, a long time. It's always very unsuspecting, but there it has a huge community. A lot of people it's, love it. It is a. It, it is the epitome a, of a solid euro. Yeah, it has a lot of support. It has a large fan community support. But I would say the BGG. same thing about Concordia. Really, the epitome I, of a solid euro. Um, solid euro, but I just don't think there's the people that are enamored. I with think you'd be Concordia versus that, yeah, Burgundy. Yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough one. So Concordia beat out El Grande, and Castles wow. of Burgundy beat out Pax Premier. Shoo! Oh, my so gosh. Slaying names out there. That's um, Well, listen, that Pax Premier is one of the games I mentioned before. It has, doesn't have the 
number associated with it for people playing it, but the people who do play it love it. Love it, yeah. Yeah. So, so next one, we've got Architects of the West Kingdom versus Race for the Galaxy. Both of those are pretty much garbage, in my opinion. Actually, that, you know, Architects like, of the West Kingdom people, is actually... I I own it. It is up in my room right now. It's just... There's Listen, a lot people of go crazy for for those games, Brady, and it, it blows yeah. my mind. Not like saying Paladins it's a bad game. and stuff, yeah. People, and it's like they love it. They own every game in that series. Talk about someone with repetitive artwork. Yeah, the artwork um, is, is old. Yeah, so that's a tough call. Yeah, we've got Wingspan versus Seven Wonders Duel. Uh, not a chance. Wingspan's gonna win that all day. It sold over a million copies. Yeah, with only a couple years into its <laughs> lifespan. We got Terraforming Mars versus My Sweet Lost Runes of Arnak. Probably get out of here. Listen, Terraforming Mars is going. If Terraforming Mars loses to Lost Runes of Arnak, we're not we're not covering this bracket anymore. Yeah, yeah. yeah. All right. Well, then Terraforming Mars will be going up against Wingspan, so that'll be an interesting. (laughs) I feel, and also too, that I think the way they do their bracket isn't is not how a normal bracket is done. Like if I'm the number one seed. I'm going to be playing the number 16 or 32 seed. The way they have this set up, they have like these heavy hitters going against each other early and like these other middle middling games. Well, the, so like through. Gloomhaven and Patrick, Patrick was 64 seed, um, which, you know, who knows what that means. But um, so we have Patrick going up against Everdale, Twilight's Travel Goal going up against Scythe. So a lot of Jamie Staggs in there. Yeah. Um, Man of the people. Yep. Yep. So we'll be keeping an eye and on the on uh, all the unfolding upsets that are sure to happen. Please do not put money if you have a group that is gambling. <laughs> uh, if you have a bookie, please do not start gambling on this because um, it can be. I feel like this This, this is, is more one, exciting than, than basketball. Yeah, right I feel, but I, I feel mean, like this is one bracket that can be manipulated if you have enough motivation. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, why sure. are, where are all these just random, like, people voting on this? Like, they've been active on BGG for one day. As all the votes, because people just creating accounts. All right, well, that's going to be it for this week's episode. Brian, do you have anything else? Anything new coming down the pipeline? Nope. Just looking forward to the next episode. Hopefully, I know we've been promising it to you all forever. We're going we to have get it scheduled. into Root. Yeah, we have it scheduled. We get together with the other guys, and we're going to do our next board game breakdown. All right, well, that's going to be it for this week's episode. As always, I'm Matthew. And I'm Brady. And this has been The, the Discussion, Discussion Phase. phase. Thank you for tuning in to the discussion phase. If you enjoyed our content and like to hear more, make sure to tune back every week for new episodes. You can follow us on Instagram at the discussion phase for new recent plays and reviews. You can also join in on the discussion on our Discord channel with the link down below. Thanks, everybody. So, Matthew, I've got to ask, did you manage to watch the new Halo series, the first episode? You mean the Hey No <laughs> The series? Hey No series. The oh. Hey no series. oh, my gosh. Did you watch it? Ooh. So, there are some parts of it that were nifty and cool. Uh, I thought the, the Covenant, like, for TV show, like, the CGI rendering for the Covenant creatures wasn't that bad, but how often you can visibly notice when they go from real life person in the master's chief suit or really any of the, um, what are they called? 
the Spartans. The Spartan suits, yeah. yeah. You can you can tell easily the transition from real person suit versus a CG Spartan. Not not yeah. necessarily in oh, the visual, but how they move. Like I you just, can tell the movement weight in their movement was really off. Um, and they're doing, man, we're going, we're, we're going to hit this hard. So they're doing what a lot of these shows do when you can tell they don't have the budget to put behind it. They start oh, focusing yeah. on a side characters that aren't unimportant sure, to the story. I'm pretty sure my grocery budget is bigger than their, than their budget. Because what they do when they just focus on a local girl in a community, they don't have to do any CG. They don't have to focus on the the practical effects and the outfits and the, all that kind of stuff. Let's focus on there. You can, you can tell they are focusing on these side characters, throwing them into the story. So they don't have to focus on like, I don't care about it. I want master chief. Like I love lore. I think what these yeah. shows don't focus on enough is lore and world building. Like they need to give us master chief, give me his struggles, his decisions, his challenges. Like, I don't care about this local Girl, yeah, mining yeah. girl in a mining community. Yeah, you know, after playing the games for so long, I really wanted a little bit of like build up in in this episode. Like, I wanted it to be this epic moment when when we finally get to see Chief, and it was like, boom, first five minutes, somebody gets their head blown off, and Chief shows up and is gunning people down. And I was just like. Like I want character. It, it just looked like a a bad Michael Bay movie. Not even that. Yeah. Like I want character development. Like in the video games, I know probably Master Chief. I haven't played a lot, but I've watched a lot of playthroughs and stories of Halo. I know Master Chief is is very stoic. I feel think there's a lot of dimension to his character. I may be way off, but like delve into that. I would delve into his character, but we want Halo for Master Chief and the struggles of being. The hero of the universe, right? Yeah, I may give it another couple. Chances, I'm gonna watch but... some other ones because there's some cool stuff. They no spoilers, but like there's some artifacts and stuff in this show that they find. I don't know all the lore behind it, but it looks really cool. Yeah, uh, I want to know more about that. But from what I've heard, these next couple episodes are filler episodes. Is yeah. kind of what they're gonna feel like. You're like episode two and three are kind of like filler episodes. Like there's no, it's a limited series. I think there's not that many episodes in it. And it's a shame. It's a shame. <laughs> Breaking my heart. Yeah. All right. Peace out.